Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes, North America. This episode of the Pardes Parsha podcast features Rabbi Elchanan Miller and Judy Klitzner on Parshat Todot. For the latest episode of the Parsha podcast, please visit elmod.pardes.org. And now, Rabbi Elchanan Miller and Judy Klitzner. Hello, Pardes podcast listeners, and welcome to this weekly podcast on the Parsha. My name is Rabbi Elchanan Miller, and I'm delighted to be in conversation today with uh, our seasoned Torah teacher at Pardes and elsewhere, Judy Klitzner. Hi, Judy. Hi, Elchanan. So today we're talking about Parshat Toldot. And in Parshat Toldot, we really get to know these characters of Yitzchak and Rivka, Isaac and Rebecca. Now, just a recap of what we had in last week's Parsha in Chaye Sarah. So the narrative last week ended with the burial of Avraham, where, where Isaac and Ishmael come together after what seems like a separation and bury their father. And then Avraham dies, right, in, in, in Chaye Sarah. And now the focus of the camera switches to Yitzchak and his new wife, Rivka. Um, Tell us a little bit about these people, Judy. Well, I would just love to do that. Um, have, before I get started, though, I, I think it's only fair to mention what my teacher of blessed memory, Nechama Leibovitz, uh, often said, which was, you cannot know a character in the Bible or anywhere else until you see how they behave online at the makolet, at the, at the grocery store. Um, and so we shouldn't think that we actually know these, these characters in their entirety. Um, I, I, of course, would push back and say, yes, but we, but, but we can still know quite a bit about them based on the evidence that we're given in the text. Uh, so what I'd like to do, and I would, I would actually encourage those of you who are not at the moment driving, to open up a chumash to the beginning of Parshat Toldot, which is in the 25th chapter of the book of Bereshit. Um, and the parasha begins in the middle of the chapter with verse 19. And here, we're st- if we're looking to understand Yitzchak, I think the best place to start is right here, where the verse says, Ve'ele toldot Yitzchak ben Avraham, Avraham holid et Yitzchak. Um, that incredibly redundant sentence seems to convey quite a bit. Um, I think what, what, what this text is telling us is that there is a really strong connection between these two things. Let us make no mistake about it. He is the son of Abraham, and Abraham begat him. Um, and I think as we read on in the parasha, uh, what we get to see is that in, in, in many ways, Yitzchak is going to replay his father's life. Um, and here, Elchanan, I want to throw out a, a thought that I've had for a long time, which is that it, there's a bit of a conundrum when you have a revolutionary of the stat, stature of Avraham who starts something that's so completely new. Um, how, do you, how do you make sure that the revolution continues into the next generation and to the point that it becomes, becomes permanent? Uh, and it, what often happens with revolutions is that the next generation, you have another revolutionary who undoes the first revolution. And what you really need is somebody who's going to just maintain it and establish it. And that seems to be the role that Yitzchak is, is, uh, is given. Uh, right. It does seem that Yitzchak is very much foreshadowed by Avraham. I mean, overshadowed maybe. Yeah. Right. Yitzchak is much less detailed as a character than Avraham. Yeah. And in this, and in this parasha, you see it. I mean, you almost... You, it, it almost elicits a, a group yawn. Um, he's doing everything, and, and the text is explicit about it. He, 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 there's a famine. 
in addition to the another one besides the one in the time of Abraham, um, he has a conflict with uh, this, with Avimelech, the king of Gerar, as did Abraham. He falls into the same miserable situation where he claims his wife is his sister, as did Abraham. Um, and and in case we missed we missed that missed the point, there is a verse. It's in twenty six, um, verse three, I believe. Um, it's in verse 5 where God says to Yitzchak um, that, he's, that, that God is going to bless Yitzchak and the, the blessings here seem very familiar um, but God is going to bless him Ekev asher shama Avraham bekoli uh, Ekev, because Avraham listened to me, right? I'm going to bless you because of what he did. So he really seems to be an extension of his of his father. And we have to wonder, um, what does that do to the, the actual human being who is, who is um, left with that role? Um, and I think we have some hints in the birth of the children, in the record of the birth of the children. Um, if we look hard for it, we might be able to, to just kind of pull out some extra information from between the lines. Um, let's take a look in chapter 25, uh, verse 25. The first of the twins is born. Vayetze harishon admoni kulo ka'aderet se'ar. The first one came out red and, and, and like a cloak of, of hair. And without getting into all the redness and all the hair, hairiness, um, I want to focus on two things here. First of all, the fact that they call him Esav, which is neither hairy nor, nor red, um, but maybe comes from the verb la'asot, to do, that there's something about this child that is either done or sh shows that he has promised to do. Um, this is going to be an achiever, a doer. The fact, also the vayikru'u, the verb is in the plural, they called his name. It seems that the father and the mother are looking at him and saying, we both see this in this child. Now, let's contrast that with the birth of, of Yaakov in the next verse. Va'acharechen yatsa achiv, afterwards his brother came out, v'yado ochezed ba'akev esav, his hand is grabbing onto the heel of esav, vayikra shemo Yaakov, and he called his name Yaakov. So first of all, so there's vayikra'u in the plural uh, contrasted with the vayikra with Yaakov. Exactly. That, that that instead of both parents doing the natural parental thing and naming him, now it's only Yitzchak. And what I'd like to look at here is: is there some insight into how Yitzchak is viewing this child? I would like to argue that maybe he's seeing him in a less than positive way. This is not a nice name, if you think about it, to call this child follower heel. Um, but thinking about that statement later that we looked at where God says, I, I'm blessing you, Ekev, asher shama Abraham bekoli, because of, Ekev means heel, but on the heels of, as a result of. Perhaps Yitzchak is, is, is not entirely at peace with his Ekev identity, with his follower identity, and when he has a child, a second child, who he views as a follower, as a heel grabber, he's, he alone is giving that negative name to this child because he's feeling that in some sense that child is, is symbolizing that part of himself that is so difficult for him. So it sounds like what you're saying is that there's this uh, transgenerational trauma that's being passed down from father to son, and the trauma of Yitzchak of being a follower of Yaakov, of stepping into these huge shoes of his father, is now being transferred to his maybe less favored son, Yaakov, through his name. Yes. In a word. That's, yes. 
Um, I would add to that that when the children start growing up and they choose their different professions, um, I find it very interesting that Esav, this is doing child, is also described as an ish sadeh, um, a man of the field, and and when when you think about it, there is there's one description of, of Isaac that happens before this this parasha that has nothing whatsoever to do with Abraham, and that is he's called he he comes in from the field when he meets um, Rivka for the first time. It's a, we're told that he's in the field by Yitzchak, Yitzchak lasuach basadeh lifnot erev. He's 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 doing this meditative thing in the field. He is he and he himself is a man of the field. And here is his, this one son, this one who's out there in the world, who's in a sense, you know, uh, not Yaakov, not a follower at all. And in addition to that, he embodies the, the one part of, of Yitzchak that is unique to Yitzchak, that is not anything, that has nothing to do with his father. And maybe exemplifies the potential that Yitzchak saw in himself as not a follower, but somebody who goes out and is a doer, and therefore he's maybe attracted to the persona of, of Esav. Well said. Yes. Um, okay. Now, I um, what I wanted to add to this is I want to I want to get to Rivka in a moment because I think what we've got that's half of the equation. Do we have time for the other half? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Rivka. We're going to have this meeting point between two people, two, a patriarch and a matriarch, where each of them is coming from a radically different place. Where's Rivka coming from? Well, when we first meet her, um, and I, I argue this at length in in, in my book. Um, Rivka, I, I argue, when she first comes onto the scene, she is more patriarchal than matriarchal. Um, she's got all the trappings of, she's the Avraham figure, in short. Um, she, like Avraham, she is the one who's out, outdoors. She is dealing with weary travelers. When, when the servant of Avraham comes with his, with his camels, she is the one who feeds them. And we have the two recurring verbs, roots, maher, um, to, to hurry up, to run. Um, those verbs are repeated over and over again in the story of Abraham dealing with his guest, and they're repeated over and over again in the story of Rivka dealing with him, with her guest. Um, in addition, very significantly, Rivka is given the bracha, um, the same bracha that, that Abraham is given at the end of the Akedah. Um, may your enemies seize the, may you, may you uh, seize the gates of, may your descendants Seize the gates of your foes. Um, this, this, it, it's almost identical to what God says to Abraham at the end of the Akedah. In addition, Rivka is the only one of the four mothers, matriarchs, who has asked her opinion, would you like to go? And she utters this really powerful word, Elech, I will go, which really, of course, calls us back to lech, the Lech Lecha of Abraham. And in fact, she retraces his entire journey from Haran to, to Canaan. So she's, she's Abraham. So amazingly, the Torah sets up or, or conjures up uh, Rivka as a replica almost of Abraham. Uh, does that play out in the favorites that uh, Rivka is playing? Because not only Yaakov has favorites, sorry, Yitzchak has favorites, Rivka has favorite sons too. Fantastic. So yes, I believe it does. Um, I just want to say that, first of all, I, I, one thing is that I think if Yitzchak is set up in this this generation to be the confirming voice and the one who's establishing the revolution of Avraham, I think Rivka's place here, by, by being in a sense an Avraham figure, is to, is to recreate the revolutionary spirit so that that remains alive. So she gets to play that out in her, in her place, whereas Yitzchak is the one who, who maintains. 
Um, I think something critical changes when Rivka meets Yitzchak for the first time, as he's meditating in the field. Um, suddenly, the woman who is all, all capable, um, the one who takes care of the camels, when she sees Yitzchak, she falls off of her camel. She can't keep her equilibrium on top of the camel. She covers her face. Um, she, she's, and, and, and really significantly, Yitzchak then accompanies her into the tent, Ha'ohela Sara'imo, the, the tent. And the tent is the quintessentially matriarchal space. So this woman who was outside dealing with the public is now a person who's in the tent. How does that relate to the wonderful question that you just asked me? If we get now to back to our parasha, what we find is that Rivka is going to favor Yaakov. Um, and that is in, we're back in, in chapter 25, uh, verse 27, where um, Yaakov, um, he is, a, a, however you, you want to understand this, a simple, simple person, uh, a dweller in tents. And I would argue that Rivka um, loves Yaakov maybe there's something of herself that she sees in this Yoshev Ohalim. She's a woman who starts out as, as the opposite of, of a Yoshevet Ohalim, as a tent dweller. She becomes a tw tent dweller when, when the classic traditional roles are expected of her. But what I would argue is what's happening here and what happens throughout this parasha is that there is a great deal of frustration in her with being that person who is now circumscribed in her tent. So she sees her son, she loves that son who has that part of her, and in a sense probably feels a frustration or maybe even projects it onto him and says, I have to help this child be the one who's going to succeed and who's going to be the legitimate heir of Avraham. Um, and so I think that's what happens in this story where she puts all that together and it comes, it concludes in this, this odd solution where she gets her way, where she actually manages things, and she has been the manager from the beginning. Maurice Samuel, the wonderful British uh, novelist, calls Re Rebecca the manager. She's the manager, but she's the manager from behind. Instead of doing things out in the world, she's doing things behind the scenes because that's, that's, that's really all that's left to her. All right, so we're coming to the end of this podcast. So just as a sort of closing question, I have to say that there's something a little bit depressing about this whole thing. It seems predetermined, preordained. I mean, parents playing favorites with their kids. Maybe surprisingly, Rivka playing out the divine plan for, for Yaakov to be the heir, right, instead of Esav, and continuing the lineage as it was promised into the tribes looking forward. What does the Torah want to tell us through this setup? I mean, what, what are we supposed to take away from this expose about in utero ch chosenness almost? Wow. Huh. You said this is the end of the podcast and you want me to answer that? Um, I think, I think it, it, it is fantastic in all its messy humanity. Um, I think th this, the, the, the uh, moral of the story is not that we, this sh we should practice this at home. It's quite the opposite. It's to, it's to see the, the uh, outsized errors that are made and the, and the efforts to put it back together. Um, it's, it's the human struggle that sometimes we succeed at and sometimes we fail colossally at. Um, however, I just want to add on a positive note, which is I think to some extent, despite the terrible parts of it, it works. It all works. Yaakov ends up getting the bracha, right? In a sense, Rivka was the one who was holding on to Abraham's bracha, which was that, that again, this revolutionary idea. At the end of Parshat Toldot, 
Yaakov gets the bracha of Abraham, and that's what was supposed to happen. He does get it. The maintaining effort of Yitzchak works, and the, and the revolutionary uh, spirit of, of Rivka finds its way to Yaakov, and that is passed along to the 12 tribes, and with, 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 I wish us all much success in holding on to, them, to all of that and carrying it on further. Yeah, and an interesting example of a woman playing an instrumental role in fulfilling God's promise. A lot of food for thought uh, with those first verses of Parashat Toldot. Thanks very much, Judy, for sharing these thoughts with us. It's been a pleasure, Elchanan. Thank you. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episodes of the Pardes Parsha podcast.